pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei Card, joined by my co-host, Artemis Albosa. Howdy, howdy. I am this week's extremely tired co-host, Artemis Albosa. And speaking of people who are tired, uh, we wanted to have a third co-host join us, our brand new co-host. However, he is sick and extremely exhausted, so we wish him a very big get well soon. And hopefully he will join us on the next episode of this new mystery co-host. Him, her, it? Come on now, Alec. No, am I giving away too much? No, we just can't make unreasonable assumptions. Sure, it's statistically likely to be a male, given the demographic of Eve Online, but who are we to assume? Jim or Jer will be here in two weeks. First, some shout-outs. I want to give a shout-out to the CSM for their tireless work behind the scenes and willingness to tell CCP and occasionally players how it is. They are not always right, but I do appreciate that they have our back. Unlike Alec, I have completely lost faith in the vast majority of this game's community. Damn. Wait, wait, wait. Lost faith in the community itself? Yes, I have. But there is one person who I have not lost faith in. And that is a person whose name I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce because I'm going to butcher it. But they helped me do some testing today, and I really appreciate it. So shout out to you. You know who you are. And of course, our sponsor, the Eve Onion. Exclusive coverage, investigative reporting on recent lag spikes that the game has been experiencing related to CCP's acquisition by Pearl Abyss. It seems a large number of these lag spikes collapsing servers not related to ddos so much as eve online physically relocating its servers to korea find out all about it at eveonion.com eve onion we break the news of eve online okay speaking of pearl abyss we asked the audience how long will eve last post acquisition i am frankly surprised at the level of optimism so what we're saying here is our totally scientific and accurate poll says Alec is wrong and Artemis was right. Yes. I I don't know what the audience is thinking, but yeah, it certainly appears that way. Okay, episode done. Let's wrap this thing up. <laughs> Into the outro. Uh, I audience, I won't accept an apology through email or Twitter. You can rest assured, audience members, your wives will be arriving soon. Uh, the 67% of the scientifically polled audience says Eve's not going anywhere and that the acquisition is actually a good thing. 33% says it'll be here at least two years, possibly as many as four. I, Artemis, since you, since the audience thinks you're right, do you want to articulate what you think the positives would be of such an expansion, or excuse me, of such an acquisition? First of all, let's let's check our terms here. It is not the audience thinks I'm right. It is that the audience and I are both correct. Okay. There is no thinking about it. I'll we let it go. Correct. Thank you. So, 
the argument for, the correct argument for, the benefits of being acquired by Pearl Abyss is that CCP are still uh, bound to repaying investors as they were. Only now their investors are no longer venture capitalists. They are uh, a company, a larger company, with hopefully more stability and with hopefully a more understanding outlook on the gaming industry. Therefore, either more access to tools or, and or, I guess it could be both, and or more understanding when it comes to profitability in the gaming space, particularly the MMORPG gaming space. It's very brave. 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 Putting on a brave face, Artemis. <laughs> Putting on a realistic face. Oh, I would love all of that to be true. We'll see. We'll see. So far, it seems like business as usual, but give it a year, and we'll see a much clearer picture of how things are going to play out. To be clear, I'm not saying that like, CCP is going to go away in a year, or that EVE is going to go away in a year. I'm just saying... In a year's time, you know, things will have time to, like, take a certain direction one way or the other. Hmm. So you're saying we should redo this poll in a year? Yeah, I think that'd be a great idea. Okay. Our top stories. Peace. Peace in our time, Artemis. Well, for half the map. Other half of the map is still fighting. Still fighting. No. Peace in both of our times. North and South, yeah? Well, that's like the Western Hemisphere of the map. The Eastern Hemisphere, we're still fighting. Well, okay, Great Wildlands is a bad example, but like, they're still also fighting. Also peace in our time, Artemis. Also! You know what? Okay. <laughs> I mentioned, yeah. I'm wrong. Sorry. Peace everywhere. Guys, you know what? This is Eve. Why can't we fight some more? Seriously. I'm disappointed in you. Malprothean is like unspoken. Please stop. But yeah, it's a it's an age of peace and possibly prosperity in Eve, as you know, our Great Wildlands War has come to its conclusion. Now, Guardians of the Galaxy has sued for peace against Goonswarm and the Imperium for forty four desires. Forty faction four desires. Oh yes, excuse me. Very important. Forty faction four desires. These are the converted outposts. Effectively, goons just got a whole pile of the outposts that they built back in a new, more expensive form. Uh, the details are pretty straightforward. Guardians of the Galaxy is going to get six months respite from the Imperium in exchange for these 40 faction Fortazars. The rest of the North, i.e. Panfam and such, guess about one month. That's uh, an interesting distinction. Goons have, of course, not signaled whether or not that means they will restart the war solely focused on Panfam, but it definitely leaves that door open. Uh, Initiative apparently not terribly satisfied with the terms of the deal, and apparently Artemis is displeased as well. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, let's talk about what that one month means. That one month means if we are to believe the article published by Aerith, the agreement was essentially made between Sword and Aerith Knife and Barbecue style. And so, without a, without a, how do I put this? 
without the appropriate representative for NCPL there, you couldn't have made a similar agreement for six months or whatever from NCPL. So that's that's what the one month is about. It's because you couldn't have made a six-month agreement with NCPL without a representative there. In any case, I am I would tend to agree with the sentiments expressed by um, many of the initiative leadership in their leaked State of the Alliance, which is that GOTG got off way too easy. Um, to put this into perspective, 40 faction, 4 desires, the estimate before the patch was 20 to 40 billion would be how much they're worth unanchored. After the patch on killboards, we're seeing them for around 60 bill, seeing that similar number on markets. Granted, markets haven't necessarily settled down. And the details of the agreement set a price of 50 bill per Fortizar in terms of ISK equivalency. So we're looking at this deal, six months of peace, war is ended, ended, momentum stopped for six months for 2 trillion ISK. That is nothing. <laughs> like when you're talking about alliances on these scales, 2 trillion ISK is nothing. Like the Battle of X-47, which everyone rightfully noted already replaced for both sides, both sides lost way more than that and continued fighting no problem. Like this, the only impact of this is the morale hit of GOTG surrendering. As far as impact on their wallets, impact on their stability, apart from that morale hit, they got off way too easy. Well, there's two other factors to keep in mind as well. One, this is not just raw ISK. These are limited edition faction items, kind of like Alliance tournament ships. Their value will only increase over time. It also gives goons, if, if their announced plans are to be believed, a physical representation of their dominance over the rest of the game in that they can anchor these Fortazars in what they're calling the trophy case around one of their staging Fortazars in Delve. So, excuse me, staging keep stars in Delve. So, they will have propaganda material for years based on this, and every time a faction Fortazar dies, the value of the other 40 faction Fortazars they have goes up. I mean, you're not wrong, but like, if GOTG wanted 40 faction Fortazars, they could go and buy 40 faction Fortazars. Like, there are yeah, from the other half of the map you could go and buy. So it's it's not... I get what you're saying about the propaganda there, but the propaganda existed anyway with the surrender so meh it, it's still way too late this is like this is nothing <laughs> unless GOTG is really freaking broke which I don't think they are this is nothing well the claim is that they were I don't know yeah, if it's a if they, believable claim I, I kind of doubt it nah if they actually were really freaking broke they would have already sort, sold the 44 Dazars and wouldn't have them to hand over to goons Good point. Maybe you could make the argument that there aren't buyers at that scale. I disagree. To me, it's kind of weird in that, like, I get why, uh, why surrender, you know, that's, that's good. But it kind of puts a real t clock on GOTG because they are not going to get stronger after this. Uh, just objectively, they're only going to continue to get weaker relative to Goonswarm in six months' time. 
if goons were so motivated that they could just come roll them again. So they need to do something. They need to change something. Maybe it's moving. Maybe it's reorganizing themselves. Maybe it's they go on a campaign to kind of reinvigorate themselves a little bit, maybe get some of that prestige back. But if they just keep on going as they're going and six months is up, not I'm saying that goons will like, oh, six months, alarm clock, let's go invade the North again. But, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy is not really buying themselves a ton of time here in a coalition sense. They're going to need to make big changes and quickly. And they really need to see some returns there, or they're going to be just back to where they were in square one, except now they're perceived as weaker. It is worth noting that they're skipping the winter, though. So there's not going to be some big winter offensive. Well, so the war perhaps. No, no big winter me. offensive against Guardians of the Galaxy. Certainly. Yeah. yeah, good clarification. In any case, shall we move on down south a bit? Indeed we shall. Fraternity also sued for peace a few days later. Uh, they have agreed to withdraw from Immensi and Tenerepis and pay test what is currently undisclosed amount of Plex. I'm sure we will get that number at some point. Uh, they are going to be canceling any mercenary contracts. I, I guess there were some cloaky camping contracts that were engaged in, although I don't know who. Um, there's going to be six months of no structure aggression, no SAV aggression, no cloaky camping between Legacy and Fraternity. However, very notably, Triumvirate is not mentioned in this deal one way or the other. So similar to the way it was with NCPL, just minus one month. Right, pretty much. And um, we don't know what the total amount was. We don't know if it approaches the two trillionist mark or anything like that. I would suggest it probably does not. Fraternity and being a much younger alliance probably doesn't have those kinds of cash reserves. But I'm sure it was substantial. Um, the try situation, uh, it puts them in an interesting position. Fraternity is currently a buffer state between try and test. Try, I think at this point, knows that it can't go on the offense against test, especially now that goons are free from the north. I'm going to doubt that Test and Imperium will mount some kind of invasion through Fraternity space without actually attacking Fraternity, unless Fraternity breaks faith with Triumvirate completely and allows them to stage there. So, Tri is kind of like, they got a pretty good deal, I think, because essentially this will mean the end of aggression against them without them having to pay anything. But... Yeah, you know, like like a lot of these deals, the door is the door is now open, and these are big alliances and testing goons and the coalitions they represent that are probably going to enjoy their winnings for a little bit, but then they're going to get bored and they're going to look for something to do, and there is now a, an increasingly smaller menu for them to choose from. Uh, I'm not sure. Like, do we think? Legacy and the Imperium can handle crabbing for six months and then pick up where they left off, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I'm sure they would, especially Imperium. Like, I, hi I highly doubt that um, it will... Either the, the peace in the north or the peace in the south will come down to out of a desire for content. There is now the invasion of the party, which was not a part of the peace negotiations. Like, I'm sure that could be used as an excuse... And propaganda, but if an invasion happens of parties not involved in either of these truces, 
it will have been planned before the truce was signed. It is not because they got tired of crabbing and were rested up and ready to fight again. Gotcha. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from on that. Ah, so interesting, guys. I'm disappointed. It is a slightly anticlimactic, I'll give you that. I mean, no freaking alliance. Like, I'm interested in what happens to CO2, right? They lost Fade. A bunch of people are angry with freaking Sword Dragon. Big surprise there. Reportedly, Gigax is banned again. So, their leader may be gone. They may have issues. They may fail Skade. They may survive. We don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens to them. But apart from that, like, Blades of Grass? Maybe they fail Skade? I don't know. Well, they're covered in the uh, the fraternity deal as part of their coalition. So Blades of Grass is in a pretty good spot at the moment. Like, no alliances are dying. No coalitions are dying. Fade, which was by all accounts a buffer state, and handed the CO2 because they wanted content and were willing to move into a buffer state to get it. Nothing of value is really changing hands. Unless this is sort of chess pieces moving for a play down the road, I'm very disappointed. Like, the ISK values here are inconsequential. Well, we don't know the return of the ISK value, so maybe that's consequential. But It's suspected to be consequential for them, but probably not in the, the grand scheme of, like, PL goon ISK kind of stuff. Honestly, what I'm hoping for here is initiative decides that uh, Goon Swarm made this deal, and it is not valid for initiative, and so initiative decides they're just going to go and freaking hunt GOTG anyway, and then we get to find out if GOTG can handle fighting off initiative, or if they have to go back to Goon Swarm to say, hey, call off your lapdog, and then we get to see if Goon Swarm says, uh, no. And I could also see... In it versus Circle of Two, Circle of Two versus yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy. Circle of Two going now. Like, isn't Fade becoming like a no man zone under the Fade and Pure Blind? Are they both becoming no man zones? I need to reread this article. And what is Tri going to do? I imagine take a well deserved break, but they are an alliance that gets bored without content. So where do they go now? Ethereum Reach is an option. They could do what um, Holy Meteorite are doing, or not Holy Meteorite, Holy League are doing, and just go mash, bash on bot for a bit. They could go up north, shoot people there. There's always, uh, well, no, they're friendly with RMC and co. So, I don't know. We'll have I to think, see. I uh, think uh, prior to recording, you were mentioning something about Horde and looking at what they do. Ah, uh, yeah, that is a fair point. We could see what happens with Horde. They could go and bash on Horde if they wanted to, I guess, but... Horde versus Try would be a fun war. I don't see any reason for it to happen, but it would be enjoyable. Those are two alliances that love to fight. Yeah, that'd be nice. Alright, speaking of a different kind of conflict, CCP versus the player base. Oh boy, uh, we're going from disappointment and... Nullsec political leaders to disappointment in everyone else. <laughs> right. CCP announced a series of balance changes that will be coming up next month. Changes to 500mn Hicks, ECM, and Interdiction Nullified Interceptors, specifically the Combat Interceptors, not to be confused with Fleet Interceptors like the Claw. Or, excuse me, 
Combat interceptors like the claw, not going to be confused with fleet interceptors like the crow. So, uh, this of course set off a ridiculous panic, as it does and anything gets nerfed. Specifically this time around, uh, the wormhole community. Absolutely up in arms, and a lot of debate outside the wormhole community over whether that's just whining, whether they're totally legit, and they have a lot of reasons to be mad. It kind of just broke the player base in half really fast. Yeah, so let me let me give you my totally and completely biased, but I don't care recap of this discussion. So, first of all, it's sort of disingenuous to call it just 500M and Hick changes, because it is not. It is a complete rebalance of Hicks in general, and it has ramifications outside of just Hicks. So, Does, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, is it a complete re- rework yeah. of Hicks in general? Because none of their stats are changing. It's just yes, the model. What can you now do with a bubble up that you could not do previously? Fly around with your prop mod on at full speed. You're telling me that does not completely change the balance of Hicks. I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's not a rework. Okay, fair enough. I will choose my terms more carefully. It is a significant change to the balance of Hicks. Does that sure. appease you? Okay, it does. Fantastic. So I am appeased. The the deal with 500M and Hicks is previously using a special fit, activating your mods in specific order. Using a 500M and micro warp drive, you could go at 8k a second with perfect agility for 16 seconds. And then have 4 seconds of downtime where you're stuck in place, and then do it all over again. And so this was obviously broken, used to very quickly and easily decloak things that weren't expecting it could be used to get tackle on stuff in very niche scenarios, but mostly the gate camping and the small gang nonsense was where most people were complaining. Um, and C- CSM complained to CCP about it for years now, but we finally got a change. Unfortunately, the change was to remove all navigation penalties to the bubbles on Hicks, which includes their reduction to mass which was exploited by wormholers in order to, I don't want to say safely, because that doesn't fully describe the situation, but we'll say safely. Uh, it's, it it's pretty you safe. Can, you can still get ganked rolling the holes using a hick. You just don't run a good risk of getting your hick trapped outside of your wormhole. It's the idea safe. is it's that convenient. by manipulating the mass on the hick using the module, you can go through the wormhole just fine and then collapse it coming back out with almost guaranteed certainty. So you will go through, it will collapse. And wormholers have been using this to uh, exercise a large degree of control without very much cost over the collapsing of their wormholes and the spawning of new ones. Is the way you would describe it if you think that the removal of safely rolling wormholes with hicks is a good thing? Right. The other way to look at it is uh, this is the only way that they can get content. That's how I've heard wormhole people describe it, but I don't think that's actually true. But in the end, it doesn't really matter, because people complained, and CCP saw those complaints, and CCP has said, okay, we're going to introduce a new module that will let you do exactly the same thing. So the current state of play is that a bunch of wormholers are angry with the CSM 
because previously the facade was upheld that the CSM cares about the entire community and not just their particular tribe, barring one notable exception. Except in this particular instance, the CSM, a number of members of the CSM, pardon me, not all, just a number of members, came out and said, yeah, no, we don't care about you. At all. Get lost. And, um, well, they used harsher terms, in fact. <laughs> so wormholers are angry, but their gameplay is unchanged. Hicks are changing such that you can now go full speed with a regular micro-warp drive afterburner, even oversized if you want to, but I don't see why you would, with a bubble up. So that'll have various implications on fleet combat. It could have implications on small gang combat if, like, you want to fly a Hick and don't want people to combat probe and warp on top of you and get a scram, so you just fly around with a bubble up. It's a bit weird. It's a bit niche, but it's possible. I can't think of any other immediate implications of this change, but yeah. We've got people angry with the CSM over changes. We've got CCP actually making changes, which some on the CSM would say is a fantastic change of pace. we got to also talk about the tone of CCP's post that they were going to actually make changes, because when I was reading it, it read like they weren't going to change a damn thing. They called out that when they designed wormholes, they intended it to be chaotic and risky. That's why they had things like random connections. They had things like the random mass. They had things like no local. The idea was that it was going to be dangerous, unpredictable. They said straight up that being able to roll holes in this way goes against that vision. It adds predictability they don't want to see there. They kind of implied, maybe even more strongly than implied, said that a comprehensive review of collapsing mechanics may be in order in the future. And then with all of that said, when it turned around and said like, ah, oh, but we see what you guys did here and we understand that you need this. So here you go. Here's a module. It was the most backhanded <laughs> agreement to give in to what the player base is asking for that I have ever seen. And I agree with it a hundred percent. Okay. I had a whole argument ready to go about how your argument is stupid that it's unintended gameplay and so it's fine being removed and whatever which is a dumb argument that i've had to it's it's more than that though it's not just more. that it's unintended gameplay it's unintended gameplay that goes against the very spirit of the feature but that spirit of the feature was thrown away as soon as citadels came in and as soon as ccp condoned heck rolling and said that they would protect the feature because it was necessary so, like, CCP prevented that argument from being valid. Oh, really? So now you care to... about CCP's vision? No, if CCP wants to go back and say, hey, listen, we know we said this in the past, we're changing our minds, that's fine. They did that when they introduced Citadels. They did that when they condoned Hickrolling. They said, hey, listen, our initial intention with these features was to make it random, make it dangerous, make it whatever, but... You guys have settled there. You've made this gameplay for you. We want to protect that because we think it's a valuable part of this game and its community. And so we're making these changes or we're not making these changes. They're perfectly within their rights to change that again. But the argument that because back before they changed their minds the first time, this was unintentional is an invalid argument. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Art. If you take away the randomness, the unpredictability, the increased danger from wormhole space, what does it give you 
that other areas of the game don't give you. No local. Access. That's part of the that's part of the randomness and the danger. Access to all other if you say remove the randomness and the danger, you're gonna have to be specific on which mechanics are we removing in order to accomplish this goal. I'm are talking about the I'm talking local? about CCP's we... stated CCP's stated vision that you're so uh, adamant that they've like changed their mind on and so positive that they've changed their mind on. Like, you can have various levels of randomness. You can have various levels of danger. So, like, we have to be specific on what mechanics we're removing in order for me to tell you what's left. I'm talking about the, the concept. You're saying that it... Remove, that... The, remove the randomness, remove the danger. What are you left with? High sec. I think we should end the discussion there. Let's move on to ECM. Cool. I'm quoting that. So ECM changes. <laughs> they have uh, pretty radically nerfed ECM. It's it's almost a rework, but not really. I would say a rework would be changing what happens when the ECM attempt is successful. I mean, that's but, literally what they did. Uh... So what happened previously when an ECM attempt was successful? You lost locks. You will oh, still lose locks, everything. except in one specific case. Sounds like a change to what happens when the ECM jam is successful to me. Fine, let's call it a rework. Hey! ECM has been reworked. <laughs> so now if you ECM someone, uh, it will not break lock on the ship that is doing the ECMing. Which, uh, to me, is like... I don't know who made that call. But that is pretty severe... Uh, it will break locks on all other ships, and you won't be able to lock them again for the duration of the ECM cycle unless it's burst or ECM drones. However, they are saying, and we haven't seen numbers, that ECM ships will be getting tank buffs to sort of mitigate this fact that they're not going to be shootable by the ships that they're jamming. So would you call this a taunt mechanic? I would call this a taunt mechanic. And it's pretty cool mechanic. I would still really, really encourage CCP to have it break the lock and then have people be able to relock the ECM ship if they want to. But we can go with this and see how it goes. So my biggest gripe is ECM drones are still a if you're lucky, get out of jail free card against solo PvPers. Like you can still lock the ECM drones, sure but you still lose tackle on whatever ship you're trying to kill that's trying to run away. So, that I'm kind of salty about. I don't think there's any way CCB can change it. Overall, I'm happy with these changes. It breaks the Griffin Navy issue. Uh, the Griffin is probably going to be in a bad spot. Depends on how the tank changes happen. I'm kind of sad, because I've always had this dream of flying a solo PvP Rook. But the fact of the matter is, nobody will take a fight with a solo PvP rook. So that dream probably never would have come to reality anyway. Well, they'll take it now. <laughs> solo but, ECM um, ships are now completely useless, effectively. Yeah, exactly. They are. Um, frankly, normal flying my Falcon, flying a Scorpion, your life isn't going to change. Either you're out of range of your target like you should be, or you're in range and you're punished for your stupidity just a little bit harder than previously. In which case, I'm happy. Yeah, I think the 
the the biggest hits here are for, to the Griffin. Obviously, the Griffin Navy, but I think a lot of people are fine with that going away. The Griffin, the Kitsune, the Blackbird, the Rook. The Scorpion's got a bit of tank on it already. A little bit of tank buffs will do it with Noel, but the main thing is the range. You want to be out of range. Likewise with the Falcon, you know, you're you're sneaky anyway. Most of the time, at least in solo PvP, where you see the Falcon being used, you're jamming stuff that's way out of range of you and is probably held down by other ships so it can't get close to you anyway. It will be interesting in that if you are being chased down in a Falcon, you will not be able to jam the tackler that is on you, which means we're going to see a lot more dead Falcons, but it's not as bad as these other ships. The Rook is an awesome ECM ship that suffers horribly from a lack of tank, especially because in order to tank it, you need to severely compromise the amount of ECM that it has. So then why would you describe it at all as awesome? Because uh, if you roll it armor-wise in small gang warfare with the right fleet concept, it can be very difficult to deal with. But as a shield ship, it's terrible, and it's intended to be a shield ship. Ah, I see. And even in armor, uh, you're pretty much locked into small gang warfare. There's no way it would scale to fleet combat because its overall EHP is very low. But it gets decent resists and has a decent SIG. Uh, the amount of ECM that it can field is pretty substantial, and it kicks out a not irrelevant amount of DPS in small gang warfare. Of course, my favorite of the ECM ships, the Kitsune, I think is a mixed bag here. Most of the time, you'll be out of range or going too fast. I think a lot of the things that you would like to jam will probably be able to hurt you, which is kind of bad. I'm hoping that CCP gives it a slight tank buff, but more importantly, a little bit of speed and agility. I think that would help the Katsune tremendously. Griffin, I have a hard time seeing how they're going to change it. That makes it much better. I think it's probably just going to be fodder like it is now. You see a Griffin, probably the first thing you're going to shoot or put your drones on. Once those drones get there, it's going to die. Was that, like, is that really a change, though? No, that's how it is now. And I kind of see it being the same way, except just maybe a bit more. I think you have changed my opinion on the Griffin. Or at least oh, on yeah. how these changes will affect the Griffin. I don't think it'll change it at all. No, it's, it's probably going to die just as much as it did before. Yep. We are forgetting, of course, one major impact of this change. Uh, nerfing the Tengu even harder? Okay, two major impacts <laughs> of this change. Yes, uh, this change affects NPC ECM as well. So now if a Garistas manages to lock you up and jam you at a thousand kilometers, you can rest assured that if you can manage to travel those thousand kilometers, you can lock it up and kill it anyway. But Basically a tremendous a, buff to Garista ratting. If you're a dirty Nullsec Anon ratter, and you're dumb enough to be doing it not in a carrier or a VNI or a super, congratulations. <laughs> Looking to other areas of space, we see mercurial ratting, which could now be possible. Albeit, if you're using faction ammo, it's going to be reducing your income because of the expense. If you're using T2 ammo, bad resist profile. Could be useful for vindicator ratting, which we see in Galente space in some cases. Not Galente space, Serpenta space. So that could be useful. Um... I'm not experienced enough with carrier or super ratting to know how much of an impact Grease's jams on fighters is, if it is an impact at all. 
So love to hear some feedback from listeners on whether or not you think this is a buff in that particular regard. Has absolutely zero impact on BNI ratting, Ishtar ratting, stuff like that. The Rattlesnake, that's an interesting case though. Yeah, I think it's definitely a buff to the Rattler because you're getting so much DPS out of your missiles. Indeed. We have seen requests that the Kaldari should now get a second Ewar type. Because ECM is the only Ewar type, now that it's not as cancerous, we'll see on that. But now that it's hopefully not as cancerous, what do you think it would be? Access to a second one. I don't know. So we see target painters and webs for the uh, Mimitar. We see tracking disruptors and newts for the Amar. We see damps and points for the Galente. All that leaves as far as in-game Ewar is jams. So either we have a new Ewar or we overlap somehow. And so there's not, not that sure much Ewar left, is there? Ewar. I mean, may crazy smart bombs hat here. Smart bombs is an option, or mass manipulation, like bumping. Whoa. that would be too crazy. Frankly, though, I don't think Kaldari need a second Ewar platform. Like, unless the ratting really gets out of hand, I don't see any benefit to it. Maybe they're. Oh, well, one interesting thing could be some like remote assistance, remote sensor boosters, remote tracking. That kind of thing. That'd be interesting. Uh, called the, or pardon me, Mimitar already has that. Mimitar and Galente. The T2 Logistics Cruisers have bonus to receivers or remote tracking computers. But not remote CBOs. I believe you are correct. But I'm not entirely certain. I don't know. I'm not even, I don't necessarily think that's a great idea. I'm just like, uh, what are the options, you know? So, are you happy with the ECM changes? Unhappy with the ECM changes? Dissatisfied? None of the above? What do you think? Hot take. Uh, overall happy. I uh, don't think they're perfect. I don't think they're exactly what CCP should ship, but I um, think it's in the right direction. What about you? I can't disagree with you. So let's talk about the dumbest change of this patch. <laughs> the dumbest change? Really? The dumbest change. Okay. Hey guys, you know that ship class which is defined by interdiction nullification? Let's take half of it and remove interdiction nullification. What are you left with? Four useless ships. <laughs> yeah, they are uh, effectively useless now. They have no real advantages over faction frigates. Let's be fair to the listeners who haven't been keeping up on the news. So, the changes are combat interceptors, the claw, the Raptor, the Crusader, and the Tyrannus no longer have interdiction nullification. That's the deal. Apparently their combat abilities were too strong to be paired with nullification, so CCP is removing it. Yeah. Tyrannus solo PvP pilots, probably still fine, because I think that, um... I mean, if they were being super lazy with the way they flew around, then they're going to run into a bit of trouble, but they still make through camps just fine because they can crash gates, and if they were flying gate-to-gate, -gate, warping straight-to-gate, they were getting smart-bombed. So I don't think it hinders them at all. 
maybe they'll benefit if CCP decides they need to buff this type of the ship class. Um, Fuzzy Claws are dead, but they can probably be replaced by Maledictions, although if the Entosis meta that we've seen in the North and the South in this most recently ended war is any clue, then it wasn't really relevant anyway. Mm-hmm. So, frankly, I see this as CCP changing a mechanic that didn't need to be changed. I think that all of the arguments against nullification were dissatisfactory, and so any changes because of them will be useless as a result. <laughs> well, I, I think it's important to caution the viewers, think like Artemis, they're really upset about this change, to make sure we're not looking at it in isolation. The chances that CCP removes interdiction nullification from these four ships and doesn't do anything with them for like two years is super unlikely. What I think this does is takes power away from them that, that can be then redistributed in other ways. I don't know exactly what those ways are yet, but I guarantee you someone on the balance team at CCP is thinking about it. So uh, I could see, for instance, them uh, getting non-warp speed buffs so that their micro-warp drive speed is vastly increased. It could be uh, some maybe a special module they get or some kind of roll bonus that makes them better against fighters and other frigates or something like that. They're not just going to can four ships, an entire half of a ship line. Would you say that they're not just going to can the Griffin Navy issue? So that is a ship that is not as widely used. No one is investing skill points to get a Griffin Navy issue. It's something you get when you just train frigates. People invest Frig 5, invest Interceptor 5 and Interceptors. Yeah, but why do they do that? They do that to use combat interceptors with interdiction nullification. If combat interceptors no longer have interdiction nullification, they won't be used. Who cares? Just like the Griffin Navy issue. So even your dog doesn't agree. <laughs> uh, I, I just don't see it. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I just don't see it. I think this is... I do agree with you that it is probably a short-sighted bowing to pressure from a few vocal, loud people, rather than make some perhaps better changes to, say, the claw or to the artillery as a weapons platform. And I think you made a point earlier that now you could just do the same thing, but with massed interdiction nullified fleet scepters. Sure, of course you can. And people did that with claw or not claw uh, crow fleets. You can do it with malediction fleets, etc., etc., etc. Like that's not the issue. The issue is there's no counterplay to it. No, there's perf there's counterplay. It's called smart bombs. <laughs> like that's there fair. <laughs> has, there has always been counterplay to nullification. In fact, nullification is the counterplay to uh, what's the term? Non-targeted interdiction. What's the Proper technical term for bubbles. I'm sorry about my dog. He is he is very upset that CCP is changing interdiction nullification. He is just inconsolable. He's the voice of the player base. Hmm. Mm. Little too, little less screeching though. 
Yeah, yeah, le- definitely less re, more bark. <laughs> a lot scarier than the player base too. Probably much more attractive. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, sure. <laughs> so this is a that, weird episode. This, yeah, we went in an odd direction. I am being completely facetious with my argument. I think CCP is going to do something to these ships. I think CCP is going to do something to these ships, not because it is for the balance of the game, but because they're making changes because the CSM wants them to make changes and because they think that is going to be helpful. Allow me to rephrase. I think that puts too much onus on, or too much power in the CSM hands. CCP is going to change combat interceptors. It's not going to be because... CCP thinks that the changes they will make will put them into balance. That is my prediction. Fair enough. I, for one, am at minimum just happy to see balance changes being made at a relatively reasonable pace. Apparently not an easy thing to get CCP to do, but it's done and hopefully continues. Balance passes are good for the game. I firmly believe that. Balance passes, which fix problems and improve balance, are good for the game. Balance passes, for the sake of making things new, or novel, or just change in general, I don't think are good for the game. Alec disagrees with me on this point. We've had this discussion before. Link to it in the show notes. Hopefully. (laughs) I can only put in so many links, Art. But yes, that is the breakdown. All right, guys, uh, let's move on to host highlights. Uh, mine is a quickie. I spent a lot of time the other day whoring, whoring, yeah, I wish. <laughs> spent a lot of time hauling, much less exciting than whoring, I can assure you. Uh, ref- ore from one place to another so I could refine it. This is ore that I had pulled in from mining from like the past month or month and a half, something like that. And I just hadn't been hauling it back to the refinery because I was too busy to do shit. But I finally was like, you know what? Uh, let me just pull this ore in. I need like minerals for these cap parts and shit. So I went ahead and did it. Pleasantly surprised. I was plus one billion isk. Apparently I had a billion isk in ore just kind of sitting around. So that was nice. Uh, definitely worth. And cap parts are in build. Artemis? So my host highlight is like the reason I still play this game, even though I am sorely disappointed in its entire community. Probably disappointed in its development team. Not sure yet. We'll find out. So let me let me set the stage. Longtime listeners of the show will be familiar with the RR Mega Fleet. It is exactly what it sounds like. Remote repair, Megathron Navy issues. Uh, with nesters, vindicators, balgorns, and of course, scrubs, flying tempest fleets, and Armageddon navies, because people have to be snowflakes, you know. Um, I fly a nester. I fly a nester with Dell. This particular fleet, I was flying a nester with Viceroy as well. These nesters, like, the rep output is insane. The fleet comp is designed to kill capitals, it's designed to tank and kill capitals. As it turns out, it's not that good at tanking and killing Capgun Capitals when they have Abyssal Web Vindies with them, but I digress. Setting the stage, we're roaming around, doing so in Mimitar Losec, 
and we come across some people who look like they want to take a fight. They've dropped caps, dropped battleship fleets before. We think they can form up for what we got. The interesting twist with this particular RR Mega Fleet is that we have Solidus, who is multi-boxing, I think it was 10 Naglfars, waiting in the wings to be dropped. So we have about 15 battleships, 3 Nesters, plus Megas, 1 Vindy, 1 Balgorn, 1 Hick, and then 10 Dreads, plus a couple, I think, other dudes on ults. So we're sitting on this gate, doing the old Killa special, camping a high sec gate, and these dudes decide to come in. Fight starts out, they bring in their battleships, they have about eight of them, and then a single fax. We can't break the fax, we can't break the battleships, they can't break us, so they drop a cap gun rev at range, start webbing down our battleships, and if we get our reps spooled up, we can tank. Unfortunately, the lock time and cycle time on the reps from Nestor's is too long, and if they switch targets fast enough, they can break through our tank. They can volley the ships off effectively before we can land reps. So they kill our Balgorn, and they kill our FC, Killa, not Killa, yeah, Killa. They kill our FC, and we're like, okay, we gotta bring in the facts. With the facts, it's bonuses from triage, reps are landing, we're holding. So they drop more dreads. At this point, our battleship fleet can kill the dreads because the dreads can't be repped by the facts. So we start doing that. They drop more facts, more dreads. We drop a couple of dreads on them to speed up the process. And then as we're exchanging blows, we're killing a few battleships. In the meantime, this fight is spread out like over 100 kilometers across a gate. The entire field is a mess. And the entire time, we're just waiting because we know somebody's going to drop supers. And what do you know? An Akator lands at a ping, Sino goes up, 100 kilometers away, and a Ragnarok appears. <laughs> and so here we are, with a single hick, and a Ragnarok on grid. Unfortunately, that hick is fit with an afterburner, and only an afterburner. So we are scrambling to go and get tackle, get bumps, get anything on this Ragnarok, because we know we still have more dreads waiting. Actually, no, I take that back. At this point in the fight, the Ragnarok drops after we drop all of our dreads when they escalated with more dreads and faxes. So all of our dreads are on field. Everything we've got is here. They drop in a Ragnarok. We're burning. We're trying to get tackle. It's crazy. Reps are holding-ish sometimes. We've got to keep our fax in triage, but we've also got to keep our nesters repping because the fax is stationary, but the fight is so spread out that it, it can't always be in range, especially with where this Ragnarok came in. And so we're burning around. We eventually, we finish off all the hostile dreads. We finish off all the hostile fax, except for one that was super freaking tanked. So we couldn't break him. And so we move on to the Ragnarok. We're like, okay, we're going to kill this thing. Get it into half shield, but in the meantime, the remaining subs, which we couldn't break through fax reps for the hostiles, are bumping our hick. And so our hick gets bumped out of scram range. We're bumping this thing as best we can to keep it from warping off, but because our Balgorn was lost earlier in the fight before our fax came in, we couldn't nude it at all, and it jumps out. Ragnarok, half shield, hick on field, bumped by a bunch of battleships, bunch of dreads shooting it, 
jumps out. Extremely and the best part is, if Artemis had bothered to ping the rest of the court this fight was happening, I could have brought a hick with a micro-warp drive. Well, you know, man, lessons learned. Kind of busy flying a nester, trying to keep battleships alive, trying to bump a Ragnarok. Lessons learned. Next time, I'll just stop flying my nester to ping you to get a hick. They're like, hey, I'm flying an Esther. Before the fight even happens, anybody want to come join? For the record, I thought you were informed. So sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And I think we can all just blame this on Cassidy, because if we had had a Quadrupus, it would have been fine. Cassidy, it's your fault. In any case, Ragnarok dumps out. We're like, okay, let's go back. We'll break the facts if we can. At the very least, we'll run them out of cap boosters. Clear the field get on our merry way, maybe they'll escalate some more. We go back to shooting the facts, and it just melts. As it turns out, it had run out of cap boosters, had tried to refill itself with cap boosters using auditors, but we had killed them, so it just melts. We spread tackle on whatever battleships we can, kill whatever are left, start looting the field, and then a Sino goes up from a mauler, and I think it was 16 dreads, and we didn't get count on the number of carriers from Diddy Say Jump jump in and we're like nope <laughs> at this point our dreads had the remaining dreads the one that survives had gotten up to jump cap and so as the hostile dreads and carriers are jumping in our friendly dreads mind you this is 10 dreads multi-blocked by one insane solidus are going client by client jumping out <laughs> i think one of them got tackled just because it was slightly behind on the cap regen but all of our battleships, the ones that can, the ones that are untackled, MJD, MWD away, get out of there. End of the day, the battle report at that time, it looked like we had killed 21 Bill and lost 17 Bill. The funny thing is, like, so it was Templus Calcif, Noir, Capitalist Army, and then Alts versus Immediate Destruction and a bunch of people who I don't know who they are. Pena's out was there. It seemed like immediate destruction and alts, but I'm not sure if those were alts or friends or what. <laughs> in any case, it turned out that one of our dudes had an alt dread in the same corp as one of their dudes had an alt dread. So we can't make the kill board work properly in order to get a good estimate of what the actual isk was on either side. It was a close fight. It was a fun fight because we had two freaking faction battleship fleets plus caps brawling in low sec. We almost got a Ragnarok kill. It was a phenomenal fight. Best fight I've had in I don't even know how long since the last time we fought with caps in our mega fleet. That sounded amazing. It is. It was. It'll not happen again for a number of months, (laughs) if at all. Well, fingers crossed. I uh, I thought that about the Battle of N6 when it happened, and then it happened every other day for two months. That's it, guys. Head to DeclarationsWar.com for the show poll. Leave a comment on the episode. Capitalist Army is recruiting. If you want to be the hick that Artemis needs in his fleet, we would love to have you. Join Capitalist Chat in-game. You can join our Discord and hang out with us and join a fleet for recruitment. Wherever you are, Good hunting, listeners.